0: Some of you jokingly gave me a hard time this last week about the homework assignment I gave you last Sunday because I told you to go home and think about being dead and realizing that it was only as we identified with Christ's death that they, we would then begin to truly live and we would live in the abundant victory that Christ has purchased for us. And in fact, I had planned to preach Colossians 2, 20 through 23, but all we did was talk about identifying with his death in verse 20 because it was so key to, to really understanding the whole book of Colossians. I went back and read it all the way through this week and just saw how key that concept is to the book of Colossians. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick back up where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in this concept of dying with Christ, and then we'll move forward to the end of chapter 2. So I've titled this sermon, Absolute Victory part two, because uh, we just touched on it last week, and then we're going to be in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. It's an odd thing to think about uh, death, and that that is where victory comes for the believer, but that is overwhelmingly the theme of Scripture, of the Gospels, and of the New Testament epistles, that it's until we... Die, well, we really don't experience the life and the victory that Christ Jesus has for us. So pick back up at verse 20 with me. And if you didn't get a growth guide, I encourage you to get one on your way out. Uh, if if you look closely, the growth guide is different for this week. I did adjust it. I didn't just leave it the same as last week. So there are new things for you. But in Colossians chapter 2 verse 20 It says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to its regulations? At the beginning of verse 20, where it says, therefore, it's actually a first class conditional clause in the Greek. So it would be better translated as since, especially with the aorist tense. It's like a snapshot, it's a picture of an action that's completed. So he's saying, since this is true of you, it's taken place. Because this is your reality, since you have died with Christ to the things of this world, basically, why are you living, allowing the world to tell you how to live when you've died to it? When you've died with Christ to the world, why does the world still have a voice in your life, would be a way to sum it up. And this aspect of dying with christ is very thematic like i said to colossians i went back and, and made notes colossians 1 18 through colossians 3:3, there's an overwhelming theme of identifying with the death of jesus in fact that's why i've made 3 3 or scripture memory verse for the month because i think we need to keep diving into that and i think Actually, chapter 3, verse 3, is thematic. That once you understand that verse, it actually helps you understand the book of Colossians as a whole even better. And so, to review from last week, but to also dig a little bit deeper before we press on, our first point this week is the same point last week. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have died. That is the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. And specifically of the book of Colossians that God declares and God is the one that decides reality. And so if God says that I have died with Christ, then that means I've died with Christ. They say, how did that happen? How does that work out? Well, specifically, when Christ died, the Bible says we died with him. As we place our faith in Christ, then what happens is as Christ died and as he was raised... And as he now sits at the right hand of the Father, God sees us in Christ as one who has died to sin, to the world, to the things of the past, to the power of the grave. We died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And now we have a future with Christ. So when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. That is now our reality as God declares it. So that has taken place. It is a past tense thing. But here's the present. The present is that we must choose to appropriate that death to receive life day by day. You see, we may not think of ourselves as ones who have died with Christ, but that is what's happened. But if we take that up and we begin to identify with that and we appropriate it, then that's where we receive the victory that God has for us in Jesus. I remind you of Galatians 2.20. Let's look at that one more time. Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's taken place. It is done. Now, because he has been crucified with Christ, the rest of this verse is true. If Paul had not died with Christ, the rest of the verse is not true. Follow me? So as we die with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That means my prayer life goes from God help me to live better today to Jesus, come live your life through me today. Big difference between those two. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he's not talking about sinful. He's just talking about the body, the body I'm walking around in. I live by faith, that is key to this whole verse, and the Son of God who, here's the second key, who loved me and gave himself for me. You will not entrust yourself into the lives That you will not entrust your life into the hands of someone that you're not confident in. But when we look to Jesus and we see his love through the cross, what scripture is telling us is that he loves us. He's given himself for us. What more could he do to prove his love? He's died in our place for our sins. He's risen from the grave. And now he wants to actually live his life through those who believe in him. (laughs) that's good stuff that's just one verse so what we see is that if we're a believer in Jesus Christ we have died so how does that apply to my day-to-day life well what happens is as I go about life and life is messy and things happen then I have to go okay the the problems in my life are mainly because I'm still living and not Jesus. I'm kind of half dead and half alive. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is okay, let's say that someone has done you wrong and you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart. Let's quit talking about what they've done for a minute because God is a just judge and He is merciful and He's gracious. He's going to deal with them. What about that unforgiveness in your heart? Is Jesus unforgiving? No, so therefore, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, that is where you are living and not Christ. And we could take that and go on and on and on. Where we struggle with patience, where we struggle with kindness, that is where we are still alive, where we have not yet died, because that's not how Christ lives. Christ lives in such a way that brings glory and honor to the Father, free from sin. And what about in our cultural context? where people are exalting themselves over one another. We have people that because of their religious ritual would look down on others. Paul's already addressed that. We have those that because of the color of their skin would look down on others. We have those that because of their economic background and their upbringing and the family they were born in, they look down on others. Is that the way of Jesus? Does Jesus do that? No, so I know that if I am doing that, if that is in my thinking, I'm still living. And if I'm still living, I am my greatest problem. I am creating my greatest mess. I am getting in my own way. But when I lay life down, identifying with death, the death of Jesus specifically and I realize that the only life I have, the only path forward for me now is for Christ to live through me, then all of a sudden these things that I've been struggling with, when I take them to Jesus, I get a completely different perspective on them. But it has to go through Jesus. It has to be in Him. And and I have to realize that I've died before I can truly live. A dead person doesn't have rights. A dead person isn't angry at others a dead person isn't going around puffed up and parading themselves they're dead and God's called us to die to identify with the death of Christ that we might truly live and live in victory do you see the other side of it do you see the victory in it do you see the goodness that God has in store for us and we're going to press on because it is about a relationship it's not about us trying harder so we need to we need to get to that because I don't want you to mistakenly believe it's just about you trying harder today So let's look at verse 21 because he clarifies what the elements of the world are. He says in verse 21, uh, basically he ends verse 20 saying don't subject yourself to the world's regulations. Verse 20, he clarifies what regulations he's talking about. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Okay, we're going to stop there for just a minute. Modern day we would call that asceticism. That is where you are observing religious practices or you have some set of do's and don'ts. That when you observe those, it makes you feel more spiritual. Specifically, it makes you feel more spiritual than others. John MacArthur had such a great statement on this. I thought I just need to read that because I can't say it any better. Uh, he talks about the the struggle in the flesh, the struggle of the world uh, that Paul is specifically addressing here. He says the view that the body was evil eventually found its way into the church. Listen to this. This is crazy. According to the church father Athanasius, Anthony, the founder of Christian monasticism, never changed his vest or washed his feet. Sounds like youth camp to me. I don't know. Uh, He was outdone, however, by Simeon Stylus, who spent the last 36 years of his life atop a 50 foot pylon. Simeon mistakenly thought that the path to spirituality lay in exposing his body to the elements and withdrawing from the world. Their feats have been emulated by monks throughout church history. Even Martin Luther, before discovering the truth of justification by faith, nearly wrecked his health through asceticism. Asceticism might make a person appear spiritual, here it is, because of the emphasis on humility and poverty, but it serves only to gratify the flesh. It is a vain attempt to appear more holy than others. Jesus warned his disciples against it. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men. But your Father, who is in secret, And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. That's from Matthew 6. So what Paul's addressing here is is this mentality that through basically punishing our, our bodies, we're going to achieve some level of spirituality. Where really it was a false humility. It was a puffed upness. It was look at what I'm doing that you're not doing, and this makes me better than you. You know, in the modern day church, I would say this is where we get into, again, legalism or a list of do's and don'ts. In other words, if you do this, you're a good Christian. If you don't do that, you're a bad Christian. And, you know, you better be keeping tally because I'm watching you and I'm keeping tally. And that's kind of how we do. Oh, you know, we even take it to very much extremes regarding the the clothing that we wear or the cars that we drive or did you see what they did or did you see where they went or oh. You know, creeping on each other on Facebook, trying to find ways to judge one another. It's crazy. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. That is someone who's still alive, that's not yet died and living in Christ. Let me explain it this way. It's as if in your home someone cooked a big batch of cookies. And it was a batch of cookies that you really like and it smells good, right? I mean, you know that cookie smell. Some of you, you're already like, I wish you'd get done preaching so I could go eat now. Amen. You got an Amen. So that big batch of cookies, it's cooking, and this person that's in your house says, these cookies are not for you. They take them out. They set them out to cool. They say, let these cookies cool, and and I'll give you some that's left, but I've got to have this certain amount to to take to this event. So they say, look, these cookies are not for you. Leave them alone. Let them cool. Okay, now you have a choice to make. Do I leave the cookies alone and receive the possible praise or reward that comes from that? Or do I do what I want to do and eat some of the cookies, realizing that there will be a punishment? That type of living is... I can either not do this because I want this reward. I want to be thought of this way. Or I'm just going to take the consequences and do what I want. It's a list of do's and don'ts, cause and effect, reward or punishment. You with me on that? Let me flip the script on that for just a minute. What if this person that is baking these cookies in your house, you really love them. You care about them. You have a close relationship with them. You want what's best for them. They're making those cookies for someone else. They have someone else that's counting on them to bring that for an event. And you know that. And you love this person. And even though those cookies smell good. And even though you think, man, I'd sure like to have one. And even if you're hungry. It's not even a struggle for you to leave the cookies alone. Because you love that person. And you don't want to violate the relationship follow me? There are many believers in Jesus Christ that are living in a false religion of do's and don'ts and trying harder is not going to change your heart. Coming to know God and being enraptured by his love will change you. It will change you to such a degree that your desires will even change to where the things that before that you were powerless to control, now God has made the difference in your life. And it is born out of a relationship of love, not a list of do's and don'ts. That brings us to our second point today, which is this if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new standard. In other words, God does have direction for you, God does have a purpose for you, God does have a standard for you to live by, but it's not a set of do's and don'ts, it's something far better. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new standard. At the risk of being redundant, let's go back to Galatians 2.20. If you think you've understood Galatians 2.20 and gotten all of it that you can out of it, you've just identified the pride of life. So let's go back to Galatians 2.20 and see what more God has for us, right? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Here's the new standard. The new standard is Jesus. Him living through me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Here's the standard, Christ in me. That is the new standard I have as a believer in Jesus Christ. The new standard is not do's and don'ts. It's Jesus. It's Jesus doing what he wants to do, not doing what he doesn't want to do. It is Jesus living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that relationship of love because I am loved by God, and now through his love I can love him, then the standard of my life is not what I do or don't do. It is about pursuing Christ and him living his life through me. And what I have found, what I've seen over and over again, is that the life of Christ is not an amoral life. It is not a life apart from good deeds it is a life of righteousness and holiness and goodness and justice but not because I have to do it but because that's who Jesus makes me because he says be holy for I'm holy he says come walk with me come be with me reflect me let me live through you and so the life that Christ lives is actually far better than I could ever live if I was just trying to hold fast to that set of do's and don'ts. But we need to move on to our last two verses for today. Who's going to have cookies after lunch today? Amen. Verse 22. uh, Which all concern things which perish with the using. My friends, if things of this world perish, that is why they're powerless to change you. If you are looking to the things of this world, you are looking at something that is in the process of fading away itself. Therefore, it has no power to bring real change to your life. Which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, there's a second problem with the way of the world. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about the ways of man and not the ways of God. And then he further describes in verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And, and we've talked about these things in the previous verses, so I'm not going to belabor this, but he's saying there are things out there that you can follow. They have the appearance of wisdom, of self-imposed religion. That's the trying harder. That's the legalism. That's the list of do's and don'ts. That is the Puffing up of yourself over others because of how good you've kept your list this week. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. False humility. It makes me think of um, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Uh, Bullwinkle was just a goober and he had the funniest statements and the one that is always stuck out in my head. He said, when it comes to humility, I'm the greatest. I was like, well, You tried. Uh, But that's that false humility is, look how spiritual I am. And neglect of the body, that's that asceticism. I'm punishing myself to show you how spiritual I am. But look look at what the commentary of Scripture is. They're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The things of this world, the false wisdom of the world, the self-imposed religion, the the legalism, the false humility, even the neglect of the body— it's not going to give you any victory. It will not bring you victory. But in Jesus, there is an absolute victory. Because Jesus has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's already paid the penalty for your sin. He's already overcome the temptation to sin. He is our high priest who can help us in our time of need. And so what I find in Jesus is I have a victory that is absolute. It is sure. It is already won. It is already decided. And it's available to me. It can be mine when I die to self and say, now, Jesus, live your life in and through me. That brings us to our third and final point today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new hope. little Star Wars nod. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new hope. A new hope. What is it like to live life without hope? Some of you know. It's awful. You can have so much going for you, but if you lose hope, money cannot, can't replace it. Relationships, they won't fill that void. The things of this world, possessions, when you lose hope, when you lose hope really doesn't matter what else is going on or what's going in your favor or what's going in your direction when you lose hope life just seems to be in a free fall a downward spiral you seem like you're in a prison and there's nowhere out but aren't you glad that there is a God who has loved you enough to give his son for you to not leave you in hopelessness or despair but to in a very overwhelmingly positive way to kick the door down and come in and rescue you. You see, salvation in a lot of ways is a very violent thing. You don't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to quit sinning and follow God. You don't do that. You don't wake up one day and go, you know, my mind is at war against God, but now I'm going to love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and strength. You don't just walk up one day and go, you know, Satan it really has dominion in my life, but I'm going to quit doing that and follow God now. Because, see, in our sins, we're dead. And to take one who is dead and make that person alive, that's a dramatic, violent endeavor where Jesus Christ has left the dominion of heaven. He has taken on the flesh of man without sin. He went out into the wilderness and confronted Satan through the temptation, put Satan on notice, said, I'm here to plunder your goods. I'm here to take my people back. And Jesus walked around proclaiming the kingdom of God, casting out demons, healing the sick, showing that he is the all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords. So that when Jesus looks at a dead person and says, come alive, they're going to come alive. And then on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin, rising from the grave to where now as I believe in him, what Jesus does is he comes and he snatches me away from Satan's grasp. Satan doesn't want to let go. But when Jesus comes, he has no choice. Jesus, when I put my faith in him, he comes and he takes all of that guilt and that shame and that burden that I'm under, and he says, it's yours no more. I've borne it. You are a forgiven child of God. Jesus comes and he takes that hopelessness and that depression and that worry that weighs my soul down. And he comes and he rips it off and he says, I have a new hope and a future for you. You see, salvation isn't just some little nice, neat thing where we'll wake up one day and decide to be a little better. It is a God who makes the dead come to life. And that's the hope that we have. When I am a believer in Jesus Christ, there is always a reason for hope. Because Jesus has already won the victory. And as he lives through me, what is being lived out is a victory that cannot be stopped. It's absolute. As we bring our service to a close today, I want to just propose a couple questions to you. First of all. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have turned from your way, truly trusting in Christ to bring that life to you? You know, when a skydiver jumps out of a plane, they are putting all of their trust in that parachute that is going to help them get to the ground safely, right? When, when you're driving and you hit the brakes, you are trusting that as you hit that pedal, the pads are going to engage with the rotors and your car is going to stop before you slide out into the intersection, right? We understand the concept of faith better than we realize. The problem is, it, we think it is far safer to trust ourselves rather than to trust God. Because you can't control God, but you think you can control your own life, which by the way, that's an illusion and we don't even have time to get into all that. But what God is calling you to do is just like that skydiver trusting in his parachute, just like the driver trusting in their brakes, God is calling you to say, look, I don't have it all figured out, I don't understand it all, but I know that there is a God who sent his son To save me from my sins, and I cast myself upon Jesus as my Savior. And by faith, Bible promises us, God gives us his word, that as we believe upon Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins, we are filled with his spirit, and now Christ has come to live through us and to live his life, and it is a life that we could never accomplish in and of our own. But it also teaches that apart from Jesus, we are still dead condemned in our sins awaiting the judgment of God so the first question today is have you ever put your faith in Christ to be forgiven of your sins to be made alive to know the life of Jesus taking over you but second as a believer there's many application points that we could have today but have we really come to identify with the death of Christ the Bible says we've died with him You know, I gave you some stories and some illustrations about that last week, how God made that personal to me. I'm not going to go back into all that, but have you gotten to a place where you're really identifying with that death and saying the only path forward is for Christ to live in me? But second, are you living in the standard of who Jesus is or are you stuck in the list of do's and don'ts and comparing yours with other people on Facebook? That is no way to live. That's garbage. The way to live is, Christ in me and third have you lost hope man <laughs> I don't know where you are but I know who Jesus is and I know wherever you are he can bring hope to you but you must come to him by faith I'm going to close our service this morning in just a time of, of prayer and, and I want to encourage you Uh, If you've never put your faith in Christ, to call out to him today. You know, a prayer or some specific words don't save you, it's faith that saves you. God is waiting for you to call out to him by faith. But I'm going to ask, I'm going to close my eyes and, and bow my head as a way of focusing in on God's presence. I invite you to do the same. And just, if we could pray together to close out our service today. And first of all, if you've never put your faith in Christ to save you, would you just talk to God and tell him what's in your heart. If you believe in Jesus, tell God that. Tell God, confess your sins, say, God, I, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. I can't fix myself. I can't cover my own sin. I can't be better. But you've sent Jesus to save me from all that. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and in my place, and I believe that He rose again from the grave and that if I call out to you by faith, you'll save me. So today, please, Lord God, save me because of Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And now, Lord Jesus, you come live your life through me. Come live your life through me. Maybe today, believer, you... just ready to get out of that rat race of whether it is the do's and the don'ts or the hopelessness or trying to make life on your own. I am so grateful that we serve a merciful and gracious God who continually pursues His children. And as we have breath today, what that means is that we also have the ability today to draw near to God, to know Him working in our life, to know him making us more like Jesus and so today as we close this service Lord Jesus we identify with your death we ask that you now would come live through us that we would be people of hope people of life and righteousness and goodness and glory because it is you who lives through us you love us we trust ourselves into your hands and we ask that as we leave from this place that we would be living those lives of faith where we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Thank you for who you are and who you desire to be in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.